Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed the, the time of teaching that Dennis provided during Sunday school, and the worship time was grand, and prayer time, that entertaining offertory was, was great, and now you're, you're stuck with me. We welcome all of you who are joining with us, and um, this has become uh, somewhat commonplace, this, this format, but um, I know that God is doing some great things through it, wherever it is that you're watching, wherever it is that you're availing yourself of these different offerings. I don't know what any of you are feeling, but I've really enjoyed the, um, the various things that are up on Facebook. Um, I've been enjoying the, uh, the exhortations that have been being offered by a lot of folks that we don't normally <coughs> get to hear from. And um, I, I, can, I continue to urge you to tune into that. I know this week is going to be a, a really powerful set of folks that are going to be sharing. So don't miss that. Um, and, I, you know, I said originally that I was going to do those valley exhortations for just a couple of weeks. But um, the more I... The more I recognize the season we're in, I'm just going to keep doing them for a little while longer because there are a lot of valleys in the scripture. And um, um, so avail yourself of that. Um, don't forget that today we as uh, a congregation here in Dallas are praying for our president and for our governor, for the county and the city leaders and for those that are um, working on behalf of the, um, the COVID response team. Uh, we need to pray for those that are dealing with finance right now. We need to pray for the judicial system that is, seems to be on overdrive right now. Uh, but we, we just really need to pray the blessing of the Lord. I'm not asking you to take a political stand. I'm asking you to speak from, as the scripture says, from a supplication and prosuke standpoint, the blessing of the Lord over our leadership. You know, we as saints don't have the option with the power God has given us to be condemning or damning those that God has afforded to be in leadership. I mean, we just don't have that privilege. And really, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wicked thing when, when we curse those that have rule over us uh, the Bible says that when strife is present, every evil work comes. And, and I think that instead of playing the blame game, as soon as you say, well, we need to bless the leaders. Oh, don't you know what they've done? I don't see anything in the scripture that says, bless those that have the rule over you, unless. I don't see any unless. I don't see any buts. I don't see any provisos on there. So we just need to be praying for the blessing of the Lord and um, the blessing of, of God upon our country. That's what we here in Dallas are, are doing. And so I remind you of that. Now, for a number of weeks, uh, again, here in Dallas, we have been specifically praying for individuals in our congregation on a daily basis. And we've been praying for the network pastors on, on uh, Saturdays. We're transitioning now, beginning tomorrow, we are praying for those that um, are international leaders, those that are positioned um, in, um, in the nations, those pastors, those network representatives. And um, I provided that for our congregation here, and I sent it out to um, a, a network pastors for them to consider doing it in their congregation. But we really do want to pray for those that are in leadership. Um, this week, particularly, we're praying for, beginning off tomorrow with the Benishons, praying for them, and then praying for the leadership in Belgium and in Luxembourg and in Switzerland. Uh, those that are not everybody and their brother that we know there that we love. We're talking about people who if the rubber meets the road, represent the Saints Network or who have embraced uh, the intercession and the 
the, uh, the ideals that we as saints are honoring God by serving him in. And so um, we're praying for that this week. This, the end of this week was supposed to have been the National Seminar in France. Uh, that has obviously been canceled. We can't, we can't get over there. Um, there's, no, there's no boat we could take, no plane. Uh, the trains don't run across the water. So um, we are praying that what God intended to do um, during the time that we were going to be having this gathering, that it will be done and more. So we're asking for you to especially be praying for France um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And if the Lord puts it on your heart to offer some directed measure of fasting, please, please do that. And we're, we're blessing Western Europe. We're blessing our brothers and sisters, our tremendous allies in France, but in all the French-speaking nations there. And um, we ask you to consider praying this week for that. Now, <clears throat> we're not going to, this really doesn't apply to most of you, but on Friday and Saturday there'll be several teachings that we'll be releasing uh, for our French-speaking um, family. Uh, Luke will be translating for us. And um, I know that you're going to be um, uh, the, the, the citizens of France and of the Western nations, Western European nations, are going to be blessed by that. It's not the same as being there, but we're going to be releasing these words for those who want to hear them. And I did mention that this week we're going to have some special guests. I hate doing that. I, I mentioned George, and then, man, oh, man, it was two weeks later. I made you wait for a long time to see that handsome fellow. But um, we're planning for the Benichons to, to give an exhortation word on Wednesday, and we're planning for Francine to give an exhortation word on Friday. So look for that. It'll be in English. So uh, that should be good. So that was a long involved word to say, let's keep praying. And our focus shifts toward our international family. The following week, we'll be touching the other places where not every place we've been, but those that are actively involved in the ministries of um, diversities of tongues, proscuneo, and the work of the saints. So uh, make sure you notice that. One other announcement before we go into the Word, and that's in regard to the gathering in West Virginia and Ohio that was scheduled for next month. We uh, regret to say that we had to postpone that gathering because of the limitations that have been put in place because of COVID. And um, I won't go through all the details, but we felt that in light of what all we were facing and the limitations that were going to be placed on us to accomplish what God had really wanted us to do. And a lot of that has to do with reaching out to people. Uh, it would be best for us to say, for right now, we're not doing this. But it's only postponed. It's not canceled. So we're going to be listening and waiting on the Lord for when we need to reschedule this. I don't, a number have asked, well, when's it going to be? How do I know? I, I hate to say that that way, but I don't know. I mean, we're waiting on God, so I can't say, well, it's going to be now or it's going to be then. Uh, we're waiting on him. And I use that phrase, we're waiting for the stirring of the mulberry trees. And that's what we're going to talk about today in a few minutes. But what we're going to do next month, we'll mention more of this in just a few weeks, is we're going to be fasting for the Northeast. We're going to be believing that God's Spirit is going to accomplish what he wants to do. Uh, those that labor up there are, are excited. They're going to be going forth and doing activations in a number of places, praying and believing God to move in those states and in that region. And we are going to be offering somewhat of a video-type seminar uh, on, uh, uh, on that weekend that we were supposed to be there. It won't be a full-bore seminar, but... It will be several teachings that are specific to what we believe God wanted to do and what he is going to do. Um, so we're, we're, things are 
postponed as far as the gathering is concerned, but they're by no means postponed for what all the folks up there are going to be doing and what they're doing now. So I apologize to you for that, and as I wrote in a couple of email exchanges yesterday, uh, nobody is more disappointed than I am in not actually being able to be up there, but I do recognize that God is doing a different thing. He's going to accomplish what he said he would, but he's going to accomplish more than that. And that's, that's very exciting. So um, I think that's all the announcements that I have. Uh, if you're not totally worn out, I, I encourage you to find the teaching sheet that was uh, sent to you or made available to you online. And we're going to be talking about, in this year of wisdom, the tree of wisdom in the Valley of Giants. We are going to be mentioning this episode that occurred in both, um, same, it, it, both, both of the uh, writings and scripture of the details of the kings. We're going to be looking at 1 Chronicles to read about it in 1 Chronicles 14, verses 8 through 16. When the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David. David heard of it and went out against them. The Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim, which is the valley of the giants. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thine hand. So they came up to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there. Then David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by mine hand, like the breaking forth of waters. Therefore they called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves again, uh, abroad in the valley. Therefore David inquired again of God, and God said unto him, Do not go up after them, turn away from them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle. For God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. David therefore did as God commanded, and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer. This is quite an interesting story, and we've talked about it before. But today we want to talk a little bit about the role of wisdom in this, the role of wisdom in this mulberry tree, and the role of wisdom in spiritual warfare, divine wisdom. And what we're going to see is you cannot really function in true wisdom from God unless you are keenly sensitive to his timing and to his directives. And wisdom seems to work hand-in-hand hand with that in Scripture. It's not just like you receive an anointing of the spirit of wisdom and suddenly you are given a, a great insight and you go forward. That's part of it. But it is over and over again dependent upon patience, which we heard about in our Sunday school class earlier, and, and timing. Now, this is a... This passage is a, a true illustration of this. And this business of the mulberry trees and the, the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees is, is quite a, a, a sign. Because in the ancient world, the mulberry tree seemed to have um, a great measure of sagacity for the people. They, they viewed it as wisdom. In fact, the Greeks called this tree the tree of wisdom, and they dedicated it to Athena, the, the demonic being that they worship, where Athens received its name from, a wisdom. And they, they, this, this mulberry tree was really the symbol for the Greeks of wisdom on earth. And um, in the natural this tree is 
really unique in that it is the last to bud and to bear forth fruit. It, it seems to have the capacity to know when the last frost is coming. And then once that happens, it brings forth its budding and its fruit, and it does it quickly. And regardless of when the last frost would hit, and it's not like a timetable, um, this tree seemed to have a knowledge of when that was going to happen and whether it, the last frost came late or early. Whenever that was, this tree would just seemingly have an innate supernatural type of a knowledge to know, okay, it's time for the blooming, it's time for the budding and the fruitfulness. And people seem to recognize this and said that this tree really represented a wisdom for what they should do. The, I think that some, um, some ways they, they even judged in their society what they did in farming, what they did in other ways by when this tree actually began to bud. And they looked to it to say, okay, winter's gone, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. So it wasn't just that they thought, oh, that's a pretty tree, you know, let's just talk about it from a wisdom standpoint. No, they, they actually lived this. It was kind of like their farmer's almanac in some way. And um, only this tree was really never wrong. Now, there is some, and I don't want to get into horticulture here, but there is a, a great link between this mulberry tree and the fig tree. In fact, some of the descriptions in the New Testament uh, the, of the words that speak about, like the, the sycamine tree, that's a combination of the mulberry and the fig. In fact, you see the two words there combined. But this mulberry tree really was regarded as like a supernatural timetable. And they, they all recognized this. And they, you know, even the Greeks who were those that honored wisdom took this tree to symbolize the being that they worshiped, that they named their, their major city, Athens, of wisdom and understanding. They named this tree as that being's representative. So I think we need to remember this. Now also, in the Hebrew, this tree was known as the Baca tree. And the valley that is mentioned in, um, in the Psalms that we talked about, the valley of weeping, um, that, that was really the, the valley of the mulberries. And what we talked about in our valley discussion and what has been written on in many authors here in this house and taught on, um, the valley of weeping is really commensurate with waiting upon the timing of God. And when you wait upon the timing of God, you will begin to see spring forth in that valley the, the, the wellsprings of the ways of God. And you will then be given the opportunity to learn of him and teach as a, a marksman, as one who shoots forth arrows to those that God has called to stand as an army. And they will then go forth from victory to victory. That is a tremendous thing. But at the heart of it is this mulberry. And so we're in this year of wisdom. We've talked about wisdom, and we have taught about wisdom, and we're believing that God's wisdom is going forward, and I think how appropriate it is for God in this year of wisdom to put all of us somewhat on hold. Some of the greatest victories that God ever demonstrated in His Scripture were when people were waiting on God. Pentecost is an example. You go and you tarry there. You you stand in your histeme, you stand in that terio, and you wait on me, and you seek me, and then I'm going to come in a glorious way. But you go and you wait. And you know, God does this kind of thing. A goodly horse in battle will wait for its commander, to, for its horseman to say, go now, regardless of the clamor that's happening in the battlefield, regardless of the, the noises and the shrieks and the explosions. That horse will only go when God says go. So wisdom 
is, is commensurate with patience, which is the first sign of the apostolic, but it is absolutely sewn up by timing. And, you know, you think about people that we talked about in regard, from the Old Testament that God put his spirit of wisdom on. You have, um, you have Bezalel, who was an artisan. Sometimes I watch people, you know, like on Channel 13 or on some uh, Smithsonian uh, demonstration artists, and I think, that is such meticulous work. You know, I marvel at the fact that you can take this amount of time to do that little thing. The end result is going to be beautiful, but there's so much skill and time involved. And, and I wonder about Bezalel, who was given the spirit of wisdom to do all that, that wonderful art, artisan work in, in the tabernacle and in, in, in regarding the, the holy things of God. And then you even see the spirit of wisdom coming upon the women who spun goat's hair. I think if all the things, that's just the goofiest stills, the goofiest thing that I can think of in the natural. Why in the world would the spirit of wisdom have to come upon a bunch of women and that's what they were. They were women. I'm not saying that's women's work. I'm not saying that. For whatever reason, God gave that commission to them. I'm not sure it was a great commission, but it was a commission. And they're spinning this goat's hair for the use of the holy things. Why would they need the spirit of wisdom? I mean, it does to me, it doesn't take rocket science to spin goat's hair. I've never done it, but I can imagine it's not really intricate work. But it must be time-consuming, and it must be tedious, and it must be an attention to detail for the purity of that, of that commodity. And um, I, I don't really know um, what all was involved there, but the one thing I do know, that it had to be something that was um, <laughs> repetitive and probably something that in the natural seemed boring, but it had to have attention to detail, and uh, you needed wisdom to do that, which is why God gave the spirit of wisdom upon them. So wisdom is not just growing in God and becoming this big champion of, of his ways, even though that's part of it. Wisdom has to be viewed through the lens of timing, and that lens is put together by patience. You cannot separate, and as we look at this, you cannot separate um, timing from wisdom. And, and again, it's not just knowing, okay, all right, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and the enemy's going to do this, and at this moment you, you, you move. It's not just strategy. It's not just analyzing your enemy's movements and through God knowing when to do something. That's involved in the prep for it, but timing is in the hands of God. And that is what makes wisdom so effective. So here's David. And this valley of Rephaim, uh, it was really the valley of the giants and the, 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 um, the existing ancient tribe of people. I know the Jebusites were the ones that were really in charge of this valley during the time of David. But... This was known as the Valley of the Giants, as well as the Valley of Baca. But it was also known as something else. It was known as the Peretz, plural, places for Baal. And all of these Philistines came up, and they, they brought their idols. That, you don't see that very often in the descriptions of, of Old Testament warfare. You know, you hear about the people bringing in all these chariots and their shields of iron and all the other accoutrements of battle. But in this plural, Peretz of Baal Valley, these Philistines came and set up their groves and they set up their, their idols there. Why would it be called the Peretz of Baal? That's what Baal Peretzim is. It's the plural of Peretz or the gap or the breach. Because this was obviously a very spiritual place for Beelzebub, that demonic principality that seems to be in charge of the supply chain of the enemy kingdom, for, for that being to say, 
this is my Peretz place. These, the, there are, and there are many of them. It's plural. I don't really know what all this means, but I know enough to know what the scripture says, and it says it for a re reason. So in ancient times, there were people that were of great stature. Uh, some hypothesized that Og was a, 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 pers a, a king, the giant that came out of the lineage of the, 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 the tribal peoples that lived in this valley before Abram came. Um, they were giants for a reason. I mean, I don't think they just called them giants because it was a good motto, like San Francisco or New York. But they, these people had a reputation. So there was something spiritual going on in this area. And, in, and if you read about it, you find that it's really part of the southwest part of Jerusalem now. And it connects upward with the Valley of Hinnom. So there was something about this valley that was very spiritual in nature that would inspire Ahaz to begin burning children to Hinnom, uh, burning children to the, the demons of that day. And then you have this extension of the valley that was known as the Valley of Giants, where it was known as the, the gates, literally, of Baal. And these Philistines came and were trying to engender some measure of... Uh, of favor with the demonic beings, so they set up these idols there, and God sees all of that, and David is told, go forth and attack, and God broke forth on them. Uh, and this is really interesting, and you know, you can, we've studied about Peretz and Peretz, we've looked at this, but think about this. This place was the Valley of the Giants, it was the place where the mulberry trees were in abundance, it was a place where, obviously, Baal was known to have operative Peretz breaches, plural. And God breaks through on them, Peretz, as the flowing of waters. That must have been a surprise. Instead of the enemy having a launching point for demonic favor, God takes the place that he created from the foundation of the world and Peretz upon all of them. That's, that's just amazing. So this isn't just a valley. This isn't just a place where the enemy comes. This was a happening place in the spirit realm. And the Philistines knew it. The Moabites knew it. The Jebusites knew it. And the American people know it. And, you know, they who used to say that? <laughs> Bob Dole. <laughs> I know it. You know it. The American people know it. I always liked that. It always cracked me up when he'd say, you knew it was coming. You can almost see it on his face. And he'd have his hand, you know, with a pencil in it, his left hand or his right hand. And I know it. You know it. The American people know it. Well, all these people knew that this was a spiritual hotspot, which is probably why David asked, first of all, should I go and fight these people? Now, who would say that? I mean, think about this. I mean, I don't know. But maybe David did this. But David was the one that slayed 10,000. I didn't hear him at all ask whether he should go and attack Goliath. I don't, I don't really see that. Maybe I've just missed it. But he didn't say, God, you know, this big giant down there, everybody else seems to be meandering around here. Do, do you want me to go and fight against him? You know, David just got infuriated. You know, he took the cheese and the wine that he brought and the bread, and he just, you know, he told him, I'm going to go down there and attack this guy who's assaulting Jehovah. Saul tries to outfit him with his uh, armor, and David said, no, I just want these smooth stones and my, and, my, uh, and my sling. And off he goes. He runs into the valley. But here David sees this thing happening. Can you imagine this? Those Philistines must have been quite a sight, bringing their idols and setting it up in these places where for generations, obviously, if this place is known as the, as the, the breach places, the, the gaps for Baal, they didn't just come and, hey, you know what? Let's just call it this. They knew what they were doing, these Philistines. So it was a spiritual power play. So David sees all this happening, and he recognizes it, and he asks God, should we go and fight them? And God said, go. So they go down. They put the Philistines to flight. They find all those idols that were, that were set up, and David and his men burn them all. Now, you'd think that would be 
the end of it, wouldn't you? Well, as soon as this happens, the Philistines yet again, you, you, we read it, verse 13, yet again spread themselves abroad in this valley. They must have believed very power, but very much in this demonic alliance. I don't know what they thought that, you know, we were just routed. All the idols that we brought were, were burned. Maybe this isn't working. No, they were so ingrained in this that they set up in the same place. I don't know whether they brought their idols again, but they, they came into the same place. This doesn't make any sense to me. But a lot of things that happen today in our world don't make any sense to me, you know. I hear people say things that are nonsense, and they keep on saying them. And I hear political standpoints that I think, that's not only ridiculous, that's just, that's just weird. That ain't going to work. But I hear them holding on to it like, man, this is, this is God's holy writ. We're going to do with this. So people don't need to have an explanation to hold on to demonic deception. They just do it. The Philistines come, and it's at this point that God says to David, don't go. Don't go fight these people. But what I want you to do is, and the other passage says, set a compass. I want you to go about, and you're not going to go in a frontal battle. You're going to come off from the side, and you wait till you hear the marching or the stirring in the top of these mulberry trees. That's very interesting. We don't have much indication of how long they waited. Um, but when that finally happened, wisdom was manifested, and David went and they smote the host of the Philistines. And as when God commanded and as God commanded, they not only beat the Philistines in this valley, but they beat the Philistines all the way to Gezer. They smote them. One of Katie and I's favorite movies is we watch this movie that has Tom Hanks in it. It's a remake of an older movie called Lady Killers. It sounds bad. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it or not, but it's really kind of a funny movie. So Tom Hanks in this cast of characters has this remake of Lady Killers. And one of the scenes is they're in this Mississippi church, and the pastor's up there preaching, and he's talking about how God smote those people upside the head. Because that's sometimes the only way you can get through to people. And he says, y'all know what smote is. And they say, no. He said, I smite, you smite, we smite, we done smote. So they smote, they smote these people from Gibeon to Gazer. And, uh, but, but the point of this for us is this business of the mulberry tree and how it's linked with wisdom. I truly believe that God has said to us, all right, the enemy knows that he's been defeated, but he's kind of come against this work. And he obviously has through this worldwide pandemic. We've never seen anything like this, where international travel has been just shut down. People are sequestered. I, I don't really see, even during the, the Spanish flu outbreak, in uh, at the end of World War One, there wasn't there was a lot of death, but it didn't seem to have the effect um, that uh, worldwide that or even in our nation that is is happening now. But I believe that God is saying, "Wait on my timing," and God is saying, "Wait on my wisdom." And so it's one thing to say the mulberry tree, but when you recognize, the, as we said earlier, throughout the ancient world, the mulberry was known as a wisdom tree. And you look, you look then at word derivations, and you see in Latin, um, uh, Greek is uh, the word for this tree is used as moron which is kind of interesting. We're going to talk about that, how that, that gravitate into our society. If you call somebody a moron, it's not necessarily a favorable thing, but when we understand this, 
we'll understand where the root of that came from. And in Latin, mora, which came out of Greek, meant delay or awaiting. And moron was a, akin to moros. Now, let's look at a passage that we all know. We've talked about moros. And it's page two of your document there. And we see that moros must partner with divine wisdom. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, phronomos, and five were foolish, moros. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go you rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Maybe their voice was a little higher than that. But he answered and said, Verily, verily, I say, oh, no, just one verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for you know not the, neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. It's an interesting story. And in the past, we've taught about moros. We said that this comes from musterion. And that musterion is the progressive outlay of the mysteries of God. It's what the Bible says when we pray in tongues, we speak musterion. So we've talked about that a lot here as an intercessory house. And we've said in the past, I've said in the past, that these foolish virgins stopped doing moros. And, or they stopped following the musterion. They stopped following the musterion. Now, I believe that that's true, but I want to add an addendum on this regarding wisdom. Um, the real problem with these foolish virgins was that they thought God was late and they were really wearied with the whole process of welcoming the bridegroom. They were there. They knew the word that he was going to be coming. They were with others who were prepared, but they were, they were just moros. They weren't phronomos. Now, let's talk. There were two t primary types of wisdom in the New Testament. One was phronomos, and that means discretion, thoughtful, watchful, vigilant in what they knew to do, and sophos, which is practical skill sets or established acumen from the world, and that, that can be either good or bad. Now, the thing about these virgins that were prepared was they were wise. They were phronomos. They weren't operating on the wisdom of the world. They were operating on what they had learned, that experience that comes from patience that was taught about in Sunday school. And they were applying the things that they had been trained to do. One of the things that separates a successful army from a failing army or from a successful team and a failing team is whether you keep doing the principal things right. Usually what happens is you either see, if you ever watch a sporting event, especially if you played that sport and you watch somebody playing, making millions of dollars, and you think, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? That, we learned that on the playground, not to do what you just did. Were, did you just skip ahead because of your five-tool talents and you just got this money because you were faster and quicker and stronger than everybody else? You're not playing the game right. It just cost your team and you'll never win a championship if you keep doing those numbskull things. I know if, if I've thought that, as holy as I am, <laughs> many of you have thought those kinds of things. 
it, we've got to be, when we're moving in the mysterion of God, waiting for his mysteries, we've got to be faithful to do the things we know we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes I read, uh, I've been reading a whole lot lately, I read about various sporting teams that, or, or armies that were really prolific in their success. And they, over and over again, you hear the one thing that really is part of who they are is their attention to the fundamental things. No matter how weary they are, no matter how much they've done, uh, no matter what the enemy's doing, they stay committed to the elemental things. It doesn't mean that you're trapped in tradition. It's just that you are, you are doing the things you've learned to do as pneumatikos principles. And that's what really Phronimos would say. So they weren't just moros people. There are a lot of people who've been praying in tongues and know the principles of God and know what God has prophesied, but when challenges come, they just go all the frazzle. They seem to forget what they've been taught, forget what they've been trained to do. And so they go running, trying to find everybody else's opinions. And they forget about a verse that says, when you've done everything and you're standing, you just keep on standing. That's the key to victory. Your standing is one of the greatest demonstrations of warfare that you will ever put forward on behalf of God. You being faithful in the small things makes you ruler over many. You being good and faithful servants is what we all want to hear. It's not just enough to be a good servant if you aren't moving in, in faith, standing. And we heard that in Sunday school class too. It's amazing how God is weaving this uh, theme today through all of us. But God must want us to hear it. So when we say this is a year of wisdom and God has said this and God's going to do this and God's going to do this, well, when we talk about wisdom, it means that we need to be waiting on God's timing and to be sincerely waiting on the timing. You don't just say, okay, God says this, so bless God, we're going to do it. Let's just go. That'll get you killed. Maybe not get you killed, but you're going to be defeated. How many times do we read in Scripture of kings, and I was reading one just yesterday, that knew there was a promise, a prophetic promise, and so they took matters into their own hands. This guy particularly disguised himself and went out to battle, and that was it. The king was gone. The kingdom was gone. The battle and the promise of God was gone. And so we've got to be very, very careful to, um, to know that wisdom is wonderful. It's part of the heart of God. It is, it is part of His ways. But wisdom without an attention to His timing is really not going to, to succeed. Um, so these foolish ones, they were, um, they were just functioning in moros, but they obviously weren't functioning on behalf of the phronomos. They had forgot the attention to detail of the things that God had taught them or that they had been trained to do. And so, if, if anything right now, this is a lesson, and we've got three other verses to go through, but this is a lesson for us to continue to do the things that we've been trained to do by God. Continue to apply the principles of pneumatikos. Don't get slovenly. Don't forget the, the deeper meat of the scripture that God has given to us. Be that soldier in the army of God. Be that one that is at the ready. Oh, but you know, I can't be at church, or I haven't been able to pray with others. And I haven't. Don't give me that. You know, one day you're going to stand before God. And we've heard this preached in other ways. You're not going to be able to say, well, they did it or they do. You can't pull an atom. Well, this woman you gave me, she's the one that kept me from doing what I was supposed to do. You know, do what you know to do. Be faithful in it. God is with you. There is a strengthening that is being honed in you that would not be honed in any other way. And this tremendous year of wisdom is going to be the year of great victory because you are Faithful in what God has told you, 
you have remembered the moros things, those, those musterion things, and you are waiting on his timing. That's what we're waiting on. Yeah, there are ways that we could have connived and moved differently in, in going up to West Virginia next month. But it would not have accomplished the things that the Lord said, all of the things that the Lord said. And I don't know, as the old preacher said, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not going in to war knowing that half of what I know God wants to do ain't going to happen. I'm just not doing it. Just not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Um, you know, part of, I won't go through the details. It, it's a long, listen, I grieved in prayer over what to do regarding this gathering next month. But we got to wait on the timing. And God's going to do the great things that he said he's going to do. Let's, you know, the, the interesting thing is that when God um, speaks about those that are seeking after the, the musterion, those that are established in the musterion, uh, partnering with God in diversities of tongues, wanting to see his mysteries performed, you see the connection over and over and over and over over again throughout the New Testament. I chose three passages to speak about this and timing. Uh, one, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. <laughs> I love that. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. What's Paul saying? Paul says we have committed ourselves to pay the price for the musterion of God that you might learn the phronomos, that you might learn the principles, that you might learn what God wants you to really be as a good soldier, as a, as a strong, mighty man or woman in Him. We are weak. We're laboring in these asthenia places that you might move in strength, in function, we are despised so that you might emerge with the imprint of God upon you. This is an important thing to see. You know, I feel like, I feel like um, there's a, a further lesson in this. As, as, as many of you have stood on behalf of this saint's message, this intercessory message that is being welcomed around the world with great with great hunger on the hearts of the people that God has prepared there were so many prophetic ways that you had to take a stand and offer who you were so that new things in God could happen and in so many ways we receive the directive of his mysteries we and and we had to die to self and offer what was precious, what had been precious to us, so that those things could be known and enter into the ecclesia of the church. I think about um, uh, many of these, many of these, uh, how we began to teach, uh, which was different from the ways that you're taught to preach in hermeneutics class. When you dig into the to the meat of the word, you have to you have to go outside of the realm of what was established. You stick to the scripture, but what was established. I remember we used to when we first started singing prophetically, and and I was praying the other day, and God said something to me that I had never thought of before. He said to me, and this isn't about me, but as the leader here, I'm just telling you. All my life, I sang in church. I sang in, in what was then fine arts, in the, the highest levels. I sang uh, as the primary male soloist for revival time. The two years I was in the, the, interna the international choir for the Assemblies of God, um, we, I had a group that uh, two other men that are pastors now, we were a trio, we we opened for every revival time service. Uh, we we opened for the, the the gathering of the uh, 
uh, the district superintendents in Springfield. We open for the DCAP conventions. We open for all kinds of things. And what I'm saying is, singing in the way that was the norm was not just something I was used to, it was something I led and something that was precious to me. And, and in fairness, I was good at it. So when we came here and said, okay, let's step out. Let's start singing prophetically now. Let's not rehearse everything ad infinitum and just get it perfect so that we can go and really demonstrate something good for the people that we're with. Let's, let's sing and let's step out. And, and I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, from this house, you, you really, this house took a real stand laying those things down that you were good at to enter into a realm that now seems to be predominantly throughout the church world. I'm not saying we're the only ones that did that. But it was an offering. We became despised so that honorable could come. We became weak so that people could become strong. We became a demonstration of fools for the sake of Christ, embracing his mysterion, and what he wanted to do next so that other people might learn that and become phronomos. Many of you have done similar things of that nature. We're not looking for a pat on the back. There aren't any coming. But what I'm saying is that when you move in the wisdom of God, when God says, I want to do this, it's going to be in his timing. But you're going to have to say, to do this, we're going to have to probably look like fools. I'm sure that, do you ever wonder what David's soldiers thought when he said, okay, here comes the Philistines again. You know, we just put a whooping on them. And we burned all their idols up. Look at those. Can you believe they're down there again? We're not going down to fight them right now. What? You are the one who slays tens of thousands. And we are your mighty men. We're not going down there. There they are. They're thumbing their noses at us. I don't think the Philistines just snuck in, you know. Maybe they won't see us. They came back on the battlefield. I'm sure they, were, they had their priests out there singing unto Baal again. They were trying to do everything, you know, that, that was just mocking as, as ancient warriors would do. David's men probably didn't understand why they weren't going and taking it to him again. But God said, you wait on my timing. This is, this is an interesting part of wisdom. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be sophos in this world, and remember what we talked about, it's a practical skill set or established acumen known in the world. Now, there can be benefits to that, but if that's your only modus operandi, you're not going to really be able to move in the things of the Spirit because the world's going to have an opinion about why you're doing what you're doing. And you can't go there. So if any man seems to be sophos in this world, let him become a fool, moros, that he may be wise. For the wisdom, sophos, of this world is foolishness with God. It is written, he, that, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. So the, if there's one thing about this year with all the plans that God had us make, whether it was for Brazil, whether it was for West Virginia, Ohio, whether it was for France and Europe, whether it was for London, those things have all been put on the table. They've been <laughs> laid down. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's really weird to me that of all the times that we've put together uh, teams of people, probably I was counting them up, over 50 of these over the years, that here God's saying, okay, boom, 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 this year of wisdom, you've got this major thing, this thing, this thing, and that's just the ones we know of. How many times have I said that? Okay, these are all laid down. They're all laid down. Wait for my timing. And when the timing comes, you be ready to strike right then. Got to be ready. Got to be ready. We can't move according to the acumen of the world. We are moving according to God. And then just a few verses later, well, no, actually, we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. 
The moros of God is wiser than men. The meekness, the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the musterion of the world to confound the sophos. God has chosen the weak things to confound the things which are mighty. I want to look at this last phrase, and we're going to end with this. You know, not only in this year were we going to meet with scores of people. I, I don't know what's going to happen for the October gathering. Remember in October in Sao Paulo, the group of pastors, a hundred different pastors, a hundred different congregations had already rented a convention hall to bring all of their people to come and hear this saint's message. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I do know that God is moving in those Brazilian folks. I do know that right now we're didn't you enjoy the, the music that Pastor Cello and his, his wife and the associate minister, uh, they sang last Monday? That was wonderful. Uh, we were in touch with Pastor Luciano this week and giving teachings this week. And they're taking those teachings and then teaching them again to their people, their cell groups. They're, they're all down there doing uh, extended services as well. And so all of their people are getting the insights from the saints, the messages, the, the, the meat of the word, and they're teaching. And this is probably, God is using that to spread in ways that would not have happened had this season not come. But I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that like for the Amazon gathering and for this touch point up in the northeast of our country and, and that, that hot spot that's in Nice, um, those are strategic places, the Iscarus places of this world, where, where Iscarus is that type of power that is continental power, that is boundary power, and the enemy guards over that kind of, that kind of thing. We've studied about that, the power words in the Old and New Testaments, and the hierarchies that are clearly laid out in Scripture. Um, of, of how God moves in power and how the enemy tries to use emulating that power. Here Paul uses this Iscarus type of power that speaks about boundaries internationally. And God chooses the Astheneus. We've been, we've been, the enemy thinks he's made us weak. Remember when we studied about Astheneus, this is, this is that infirmity, the spirit of infirmity is from this word. And we talked about medically, myasthenia gravis, where that word is used to speak about how you lose control of certain areas of your body and function, and how that infirmity is a, a, a body, but it's not able to function properly. And so the enemy thinks that he has brought us into a position where this body is not functioning, where the body of the saints is not functioning. But God has chosen that weak thing in this world to confound the enemy who is standing in these hot points. Whether they could be called, perhaps they could be akin to the, the place that Baal has many Peretz places. I don't know. I think so. But God has chosen this moment. He has not abandoned his people. He has not said, oh, what am I going to do? I didn't see this COVID thing coming. That's ludicrous to think that kind of thing. When God made these promises to us, he was well aware that we would be where we are right now, experience the things we're experiencing. And he is saying to us in the same way that he said to David, wait for the stirring of my wisdom. Wait for my timing. And when that comes, you're going to know that this stuff is past. It's not when uh, Dr. Fauci says it is. It's not when optimistically President Trump says it's going to be, and we bless them. It's not when the Internet says it's going to be. It's when God says, my spirit is saying it's over. Get ready. Move. And I don't know how that's going to play out, but this is why it's imperative for us to remain constant in prayer, to remain sensitive to the spirit, to be there before God in the terio where he's called us to stand and to wait for his timing. And when God says it's time, we're going to see things differently than what we've known. 
differently than what we have done in the past, differently than what has been successful that we've honed through experience in waiting on God in patience. But what God says when he says it is going to bring not only a victory, but one that's beyond anything that we've imagined. So in this year of wisdom, we have to recognize that timing and being prepared in God is of the utmost importance. And when we're going into the valley of the giants, we've got to make sure that we're waiting under that tree of wisdom for God's Spirit to say, when you hear me marching there, I'm going forth at the head of my armies. I'm going to break through as water in the places that I have built from the foundation of the world. Those places that the cross of my son, Jesus himself, gave himself so that those terio, those histemes, might be bought back. I'm going to break through in them as waters. In the place where the enemy has stood in the gap and even called it his gap, God is going to break through in Parat's fashion. That's what it says here in this signature passage in 1 Corinthians 14. But our job is to not judge things according to the eyesight, to not judge things according to what worked for us in the past, to not give place to disappointment and despair and hopelessness, to not forget the things that God has sown into us in might and in strength through His Spirit and in training to become pneumatikos individuals. We must preserve those. They've been given to you. You've paid a price for that. Don't surrender it. Stand strong. Be strong. And wait for the timing of the Lord. I love what Habakkuk says. Write the vision. Make it plain. Though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. This is our word from the Lord. So now is not the time to say, oh, it's been, I don't even know how many weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. I'm getting tired of this. When, oh, Lord? That's what those goofy, foolish ones said. <laughs> I'm tired. When's he coming? We must be phronomos. We must not go according to the wisdom of the world, the sophos. We must go according to what God has trained us to be. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your saints, not only in, here in Dallas, but our saints family that is faithfully serving you across this nation and the nations of the world. Thank you that this is your year of wisdom. Thank you that it is your work. It's not ours. We serve you. So we wait faithfully. We wait patiently. And we look forward to the time that is coming, and it is coming when God says, go. And when it says that sound comes to us, we're going to go forth and we're going to know incredible things that we've never dreamed of before. Right now, we're in a good place. We're waiting on the Lord. He's with us. Enjoy that. Benefit from that. But remember that we cannot separate this year of wisdom from his timing because those two walk hand in hand in the kingdom. I speak blessing over every person. If there are those who have a need in their body. I, speak, I extend my hand now, and I ask that the hand of God Almighty would touch them and that they would reach their hand out and touch you and be free. I thank you, Father, that you are providing for your people even now. I ask you, Lord, that you would cause, as Kelly was speaking about deliverance during the worship time, I say delivering, deliver those people from whatever is coming against them and let you in your majesty be praised because of your might and your strength. Lord, a couple of members of our congregation, well, no, uh, one member of our congregation and another member in the Saints Network had surgery this past week. Another member is going to have surgery this week. And we just speak strength and vitality. We speak recovery to those who've already had something done and that they would be better than ever. And I speak for that one that is going forth that I know of this week that everything would go perfectly well and that beyond expectation, 
But Lord, those that are in their home right now who need a touch from you, I release that to them now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it, Father. Thank you for your goodness to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Thank you for joining us today. And may the rest of this day be wonderful for you in the Lord. Be faithful to keep watching um, for the various things that are available for you throughout the week. But remember, you're not alone. God is with you, and we're standing together with you as well. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.